0: Oh, Father, we thank you so much for this time to learn about prayer. I pray that you would bless this time, allow it to uh, captivate our hearts, allow it to encourage us and to help us to remember what it means to be people of prayer and what prayer is all about. Uh, Help us to be really encouraged by these things and to be motivated to prayer, Father, so that we can be people who really uh, find such great joy in life by being in communion with you bless our time this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to talk about a topic of prayer tonight, and there's a lot we could discuss. I mean, there's so many places we could go. There's so many things we could talk about, but there's only so much we can talk about. So what I want to do this evening is, is talk about just a couple of different things, okay? I wish we could talk about a lot of different stuff, but we can't. So I want to touch on some of the most important things that I think I can bring your attention to, okay? And a couple of weeks ago, our very own Pastor Steve, Joel's dad, uh, he preached on 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Does anyone know what 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says? Off the top of your head, you're just like, I know this. Yeah, Joel? Yeah. Actually, it's, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I'm sorry. That's right, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, Okay. And if, if you're like, "What does prayer without ceasing to mean? Does that mean I should always be praying like 24/ 7, even while I'm sleeping?" No, it doesn't mean that. It's always The idea is really just to be in, in an attitude of, of prayer of all time, at all times, um, in a sense that, that you should never be in a state where you stop praying. There should never be a point in life in your life where you're like, "I'm just not praying anymore." No, you always need to be in an attitude of prayer. So there, a prayer is important. Uh, But when he, when Pastor Steve preached on this, he didn't just preach on that one verse, he went to two different passages uh, that describe for us the nature of prayer. One was Luke chapter 11, which was a parable about a man who knocks on a friend's door at midnight and asks for a loaf of bread. The other was a parable from Luke chapter 18, which is about a widow who pesters a judge for justice, okay? So those are the two passages. Well, Pastor Steve kind of stole my thunder uh, because I've been waiting to share these exact same two passages with you all for this particular <laughs> sermon. So the good news is, we're, well, we're going to go and talk about this tonight. And the good news is that um, that this is, a, in, well, in a sense here, my, my understanding of both parables is exactly the same as Pastor Steve's. So I'm totally on the same page as my pastor, which is great. The bad news is, because of that, it may sound a little repetitive, uh, but the stories are really interesting, and it'll be a good reminder for you and test kind of whether you listened or not during the sermon. So I think it'll be really good. But, and I think I'm going to try to come at this from a little bit of a different angle as well. So hopefully it's not too repetitive. Uh, but I want to share these two parables with you, because they illustrate two sides of the same coin, Okay. And two sides of the same coin, if you're like, what does that mean? Uh, Two sides of the same coin is just kind of a cute way of saying that each parable is approaching the exact same subject from two different angles. That's what that means. Uh, The stories have different characters, but they involve the same theme about persistent prayer. In fact, the elements in both stories sound um, exactly the same at times. But the lesson learned each time is going to be a little bit different, okay? And so let me give you up front what these two parables are about, and then we'll dive into them and look at them more closely, okay? The parable in Luke 11 has to do with why we pray. Why we pray. And it teaches us that we pray because God is persistent for us, okay? Why do we pray? Because God is persistent for us. The parable in Luke 18 has to do with how we pray. And it teaches us that we pray with persistence back to God. Okay? So how do we pray? We pray, we respond with persistence. So God is persistent in Luke 11. We're persistent in Luke 18. So let's look at why we pray. Why we pray, okay? And this is from Luke chapter 11. So, Turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 11. And we're just going to look at, we're really going to key in on verses 5 through 9. But in the first couple of verses of this chapter, um, we see the disciples asking Jesus a question. And the question they're asking is, teach us to pray. And that's basically the same thing as saying, teach us how to pray. How should we pray, Jesus? And the way Jesus answers this is he basically gives them kind of a shortened Cliff Notes version of the Lord's Prayer. And he says, this is how you pray. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on with a parable that moves beyond the how. And Jesus addresses the why. Why do you pray? Why should you pray? I mean, if you think about it, answer this question: Nod your head yes or no. Or so, you nod your head yes if you believe this is true. Shake your head no if you believe it's not true. God is sovereign. Yes, right? God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. So why do you pray? Why do you pray? If God is sovereign over everything, does it really? Does your prayer actually make a difference? Does it really make a difference if God like ultimately has everything figured out in the very beginning, since the beginning of time? Like, really, like, like, do you want, like, does it really matter? Well, it does matter. It does matter. And the reason why it matters is, uh, uh, sorry, Jesus tells us why it matters in Luke chapter 11 here. And it, it, it seems like if you believe that's the God of sovereign, that doesn't really matter at all. But it does matter. Your prayer actually makes a difference. It actually makes a big difference. So let's read verse, starting verse 5 here. And, and, and I'll go through verse 8 to kind of just set the, the story here, okay? It says, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend, uh, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him with, from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my ch- children are now with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything." I tell you, though he, has, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So picture this scene for a moment uh, as if it was the 21st century in America, okay? And your friend comes to your house and rings the doorbell at midnight, okay? And you come down and open it, and he asks for a midnight snack, okay? And you're like, dude, this isn't summer camp. This isn't like a lock-in. You can't just come to my house at any hour of the night and bug me, okay? That doesn't work like that. Go back to bed. I'm not going to make for you a PB&J sandwich, okay? It's not going to happen. And so that, that seems so ludicrous for someone to do in our culture, right? You wouldn't probably give him anything. You'd probably just send him on his way and be like, sayonara, have a good night. Go find, you know, the, your local Taco Bell and that's open 24 hours a day and and get like a taco 12 pack or something, okay? That's what you would tell them. However, you have to understand that in their society back then, they thought exactly the opposite. Our society expects you to turn a friend down when he's bothering you at 3 in the morning just because, you know, his tummy might be growling or something like that. But back then, it was culturally unacceptable to turn someone away. Like, people would get really mad at you And they might actually, like, um, throw you out of the city or something like that. Like, it's it's that bad. Like, you were expected to find food in your house and give it to the person. That was the cultural expectation. And so Jesus' disciples would have been like, this guy's totally rude because he's refusing to get up and give his friend any food. But the man inside the house in our story here has a change of heart. He has a change of heart. At first, he's not willing. At first, he's like, he's like, go away. I'm already in bed. My kids are already with me in bed and stuff like that. And he's like, go away. It's, it, we're, we're, all, we're, all, we're all ready for bed, so don't bother us. But then he has a change of heart. He decides to get up and give him everything he wants. He's like, you know, you want a loaf of bread? Here's a loaf of bread. You want a bag of chips? Why not? You know, you want a snickerdoodle? Here's a snickerdoodle. You know, like he, he gives him whatever he needs. So what changes his mind? Verse 8 tells us it wasn't because he was his friend. Normally you think it's because, you know, they're, they're friends. Well, you know, because you're my friend, because we're pals, I'll make an exception for you. That's not why he gets him something. The reason why he gets him something is because it says of, he has impudence. Impudence. And that's a big word, obviously, and you probably don't know what that means. I don't even know what that means. So let's redefine that, Okay. Impudence means, really, the idea is persistence, persistence. Or really, you could think about it this way, shamelessness. You have no shame. You have no shame. So in other words, here's what's going on. Uh, because this man had shown n- uh, no shame in denying his friend food, he became convicted that the whole town uh, would hear about his lack of hospitality, how he treated his friend. Uh, who needed his help in the middle of the night, and so out of fear of getting mobbed by other people and by his neighbors next door, he gets up anyways and starts handing out whatever his friend needs. In other words, he's he's really doing this out of fear, okay? He's really doing this out of fear. So at first he's like, oh, don't bother me. It's like three in the morning. What are you doing? And then he realizes to himself, if I don't give this guy food, the entire town, is going to make my life miserable for the rest of my life. Like, that's pretty much what's going on, okay? So he gets up, even though he doesn't feel like it, and he gives him his his food, okay? So even though the illustration Jesus gives here may sound kind of odd to us, we we do this all the time, actually, uh, for other situations in our culture. This doesn't make sense to us in our culture because we're not used to handing out food at midnight, you know? That doesn't make sense to us but we do other things that are culturally acceptable or unacceptable uh let me give an example if i were to if you guys were all talking and stuff like that in our group here and i were to to and we had like this big barbecue going out on this barbecue pit or whatever and i were to say all right guys let's let's bow in prayer for our, for the food everyone within a matter of two or three seconds would be get, would stop talking and 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 would be silent prayer that's what everyone would do because it's a cultural expectation you don't even have to be a christian for that to happen in fact like think about it um there's times at like sports games where someone might get up and even give some kind of like a quasi prayer and what happens in the entire crowd everyone goes silent why because it's a cultural expectation that's what we expect well in this case that's exactly the same thing it's no different in this parable. This man had a cultural expectation to help his friend, and he caved to the pressure of his society and became persistent for his friend, even though he probably didn't, didn't want to. He naturally became persistent on behalf of his, his friend because of fear, okay? So that's what's going on here. So, so what's the whole point here? Um, what's the deal? Um, well, here's the principle that Jesus draws from this, okay? Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So what's going on here? You have probably heard these verses before. These are very common. This is what's called a greater to lesser argument. The idea goes like this. If this man became persistent for his friend, even when he didn't want to, how much more will God be persistent for you? Who wants to help you? Okay, you see that? So even though this guy is like, stop bugging me, I don't want you to bug me, Um, but because my culture wants me to do this for him, I'm going to do it. Well, God God is not like that. God actually wants to answer your prayer. How much more is God going to be persistent for your prayer? And so that's his point. Just ask and it will be given to you. Just seek and you will find. Just knock and it will be opened for you, okay? So why on earth should we pray to God? Because we can trust that not only is he capable of answering our prayers, he is waiting on pins and needles to give us what we ask for. He is far more eager and persistent to give you what you ask for than you will ever be in praying for it. In other words, you can be so persistent in prayer Like, you can be the most persistent person in prayer in the world. And God is actually more persistent in trying to give you what you ask for. That's the principle that we learn here. God is very persistent. God wants to answer your prayer. So why should we pray? Well, actually, that's the wrong question. It's not why should we pray. Why wouldn't you pray when you see how persistent God is? Why wouldn't you pray? I think sometimes we think that we may be tempted to think that our prayers bother God. You know, oh great, I'm going to ask another prayer to God today and, and things like that. Um, we're never bugging God when we pray. Never. Not once. Not once. If you're a Christian, are you ever bugging God? Even though it may seem like our requests are an inconvenience to him, God is willing to overcome all inconveniences, any shame associated with your request, all obstacles that hinder it, just to answer your prayer. He's willing to overcome anything. He's so willing. He he is so willing to answer prayer. That's that should be the greatest motivation to come to prayer to, before God. Okay? So so that's why we should pray because God is persistent. But how should we pray? How should we pray? Now that we know why we should pray, how should we pray? Well, we pray with persistence towards God. That's how we should pray. We pray with pers- persistence toward God. And so, so now, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 18. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Luke chapter 18. This is the same book of the Bible, and so um, naturally, Luke is the author of, of the book of Luke here, um, is going to be talking about the same kind of subject a couple of chapters later, but from a different angle, okay? And he uses, Jesus uses a different parable to be able to describe this. So look at, uh, beginning in verse one here. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, this story is pretty easy to understand, I think. Um, We have a widow who is being unfairly treated by someone. We don't know who. um, And we don't know why this widow is being harassed by someone. But she is. It's probably because she is a widow. It's probably just because she's a widow. Back in those days, you know, today, like widows, if someone, you know, if someone's husband dies, um, our our government actually gives you a lot of help and will, will actually help you. There's a lot of charities that will help you, a lot of churches that will help you, uh, different things like that. Back in those days, if you were a widow, if your husband died, your entire life just shatters. Um, it, it basically, it, you're, you're done. Uh, financially, you're done. Um, um, uh, relationally, in, like in, in, a, in front of everyone's eyes, you're seen as kind of like a nobody. And no one wants to talk to you. No one wants to be with you. It's pretty sad. It's pretty bleak. That's the way it was. And so and they also had no husband to defend them. So all of these, you know, people could like uh, either attack them physically or attack them financially with a lawsuit, and the widow would have nothing to do to be able to protect herself. So you see here, this widow is in a really tight spot. That's probably what's going on here, but we don't know for sure. Whatever the case may be, she comes to the judge of the city and asks that something be done about this problem. But the judge absolutely refuses to help her because the culture is like, who cares? You know, and and the judge is probably thinking to himself, you're a widow, you don't have any money, what's in it for me? Nothing, so I'm not gonna help you. I don't care about you, you know, go away. And so that's, so that's kind of almost the end of the story, you would think, that the widow has to go away and there's nothing to, for her to do. Well, we find out here that the judge changes his mind. He changes his mind. Just like the man in the house changed his mind in the last parable, this judge changes his mind too. What changed? Well, something compels him to help this woman, and it's probably not something you would expect. It is this. The widow pesters him to death. She literally just bugs him to death. She won't stop bugging him about her case. She calls him up and says, give me justice. And the judge is like, no. And so she calls him again the next day, give me justice. And the judge is like, no, go away. And so she calls him the following day and she's like, give me justice. And the judge is like, are you kidding me? Stop bugging me. And she calls again the next day. And he's like, are you mad? What's wrong with you? Don't don't you get it? I'm not going to help you at all. And she calls again the next day. And by this point, the judge is going crazy. So he's pulling out his hair, and he's reasoning to himself, if I don't give this widow what she wants, she's probably going to be the death of me. I'm going to go insane. So verses 4 and 5 tell us, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, in other words, I could care less about God, so I have no spiritual investment in this, and i don't care about what man man thinks so i'm not going i don't have actually an ethical investment at all he says yep because this woman this widow keeps bothering me i will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming okay that's just a, a fancy way of saying so that she won't drive me insane okay so she badgers him day after day after day to the point where the judge can't take it anymore so he gives her what she wants She gives, or sorry, he gives her what she wants. He gives her justice and rules in her favor. So, what's the point of this parable? What's the whole point? Jesus answers the point in verses 6 through 8, okay? Read along with me, verses 6 through 8. It says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. What's the point here? This is the same argument that was made in Luke 11. It's a greater to lesser argument. This time, however, it's kind of backwards. Before, it was, if the man in the house is so persistent to help the man on the outside, how much more will God be willing to be persistent to answer your prayers? Now, it's this. Now, it's this. If the widow was so persistent to plead her case before a selfish judge who couldn't care less about her, how much more should you be persistent to pray to God who does care about you? How much more should you be persistent? Before, God was the persistent one, and that gives you why you should pray. Now you should be persistent in prayer, and that tells you how you should pray. So in other words be persistent. Be persistent in prayer. Why? Because God's not like a judge who, is, who doesn't care about you and would still give you what you want if you're persistent with it. God actually gives you, actually, actually cares about what you're asking for. So go ahead and be persistent because I guarantee you God's going to answer your prayer. That's the point. So these are two sides of the same coin. We pray hard and God fights hard to answer prayer. But the two ideas aren't incompatible. They go together hand in glove. God's persistent toward our prayers should generate persistence within us to pray and to pray hard, okay? So that's kind of the point of these two parables. God is persistent, and we should be persistent. God is diligent and and, and is willing to overcome all obstacles to answer our prayer. We should be persistent willing to overcome all obstacles in our lives to actually come before him in prayer, okay? And so let me kind of wrap this up really quickly. Now that we know the why and the how of prayer, let me give you some suggestions for prayer. How should we actually begin to pray? What can we be doing? Well, there is no limit or restriction as to, you know, like when or where you should pray you know, there's no, like, protocol in the Bible that says you have to pray, like, you know, five times a day, kind of like the, the Muslims do. I don't know if you guys know that, but Islam, you're required to pray five times a day. Um, if you're a really devout Muslim, that's what you do. You pray five times a day. That's just ritualistic. That's legalistic. Um, they think it actually wins favor with Allah, but it doesn't um, because Allah doesn't exist. So <laughs> too bad, you know, that's just the way it goes. Well, it doesn't work like that in Christianity. You can't like pray like five times a day and then God make it, is happy with you. That's not the way it works. You can pray uh, as many times as you want in the day and it doesn't make necessarily God more happy with you. And you could pray, you know, like once a day and God is still happy with you. Like it, it That's the way it is. That's the way it works. But here's the thing. Here's the way you need to think about prayer. Prayer is not a, a, a means by which you can make God happy with you. God is already perfectly happy with you. Why? Why? How, is, how is it that God's always already perfectly happy with you? Because of Christ. Because Christ died in your place. And because God took your place in Christ, now when God looks at you, he sees Christ. And when God looks at Christ, he sees you. There's a swift, There's this kind of a, sw- um, a swap that happens, a switch. And Second Corinthians 5.21 kind of tells us that that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The reason why prayer doesn't win us favor with God is because it can't. God's already happy with you because God sees Christ. And so prayer, that's not what the purpose of prayer is. Purpose of prayer is not to win favor with God. The purpose of prayer is, is to come into communion with God. It's to it's to worship God. It's to pour out your heart to God in thankfulness to Him, in 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 agony to Him when you're struggling with life. Um, it's, to, it's to come to before Him with with requests and in and and in asking Him for things that you, that you that you need in life because He does answer. That's the point of prayer. So. That's kind of how we should think about this. And here are some suggestions that I would have to to actually kind of beef up your prayer life a little bit, okay? If you're like, how do I actually get to to make prayer something that's really a wonderful thing in my life? Let me give you a couple pointers. One, think about this. Quality, not quantity. Quality, not quantity, okay? Okay. I think we're so used to thinking about prayer in terms of, if I don't pray for a long time, then, then I'm not being spiritual. Uh, that may or may not be true to one extent. You may be avoiding prayer because you want to engage in sin. That's not good. But quantity is not the point here. Quality is actually a better way to look at it. What are you praying in your prayers? What are you praying in your prayers? Are they really focused? Are they really devoted? Are they just kind of half-hearted? Lord, I thank you so much for the sky and the sunshine today. And I saw a bee today. That was pretty cool. You're know, like, I don't know, like, I'm just kind of being a little facetious here, right? Are your prayers really dynamic? Are they really passionate and caring about, I want to pray to God right now, the God of the universe who loved me and sent his son to die for me. So I'm going to pour, I'm going to invest every moment here. I'm going to set aside all my distractions and focus on prayer. That is really where prayer begins to take off, is when you're really invest. You could have, you know, five minutes of awesome prayer and like an hour of terrible prayer. It could totally happen, okay? It could totally happen. What are you praying when you pray and how are you praying when you pray? That's what I would ask, okay? And here's some ways to kind of get that going. One of the things that was, has been so helpful for me in my prayer life over the years is, is getting a way to pray, getting a way to pray. Those, were, those are actually some of the best times I have ever had in my life, period, period. I'm not talking about some of the best times I've ever had in, in prayer. These, is, these are some of the best times I've ever had in my life is actually getting away from all distractions of life, maybe getting away from my home even for a little bit, going for a walk, going for a drive. You get some. Most of you guys probably can't drive yet. Caleb can drive. I know he can drive. But um, Getting away and just praying. That's the only thing I'm doing. I'm just praying. Those are some of the best times because it allows me to put aside all distractions and just to pray. And just to pray. And... And so there's times where I actually one time challenged myself when I was in college to pray for one hour every day for 50 days straight, and I did it. And and it, it was hard at times because it's like, what do you pray for for an hour? Like, At some point, you kind of just run out of stuff. It Actually, it's a little bit hard at first, but once you get into the role of it, there's so much you can pray for. You can never exhaust prayer. You can never exhaust it. You can never mine too deep in the, into the depths of prayer. It's just not possible. And those are some of the best moments I've ever had in my life. And, and um, so that's something that I would. Uh, you can do. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe you can't get away completely, but, you know, if you have your own room, shut the door to your room and pray. You know, if you don't have your own room, find a closet or something, I don't know. Um or tell your parents, hey, I'm gonna go for a walk for a little bit, or I'm gonna to go to the park, or something like that. And just pray. And just and, and you know, let people know where you are so they don't get worried about you, you know, be like, oh no, you know, Joel's gone and you know, something like that. But um but that can be very helpful. Another thing that I've done that's been really helpful is a, is small prayers throughout the day. Small prayers throughout the day. So having like a specific time to prayer is good. But even small prayers throughout the day are really helpful. Just trying to be almost in constant communion with God all day long. Lord, thank you so much for this. I, You know, I had this you know, difficult math test, and um, thank you so much for allowing me to get through it. Yeah, it wasn't as great as I wanted to be, but I'm alive, so that's good. And <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I think I did okay. And either way, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to pass the class, even if it's just with a C or something, you know. Be thankful for certain things. Um, as certain things come up, you know, ask you know, prayer requests before the Lord. You know, Lord, please help me. Um, give me strength to, to do this particular task or, or or to do this particular thing at school or something like that. Or you know, I've got I've got something that's really challenging that I've got coming up. So so pray so pray often throughout the day. A couple other things to think about set a timer for yourself. Set a timer for yourself. And don't stop trying to pray until that timer goes off to kind of teach you to pray a little bit longer. So I'm not against long prayers, okay? Don't, don't, don't think that. I, I like long prayers. They're good. Um, so d- stretch yourself. Stretch yourself on how long you can pray. Use a timer to do it. Um, and if, if it's kind of just silent for a while, that's okay. If it's just kind of empty space in your brain, that's okay. Just keep trying to pray. Keep trying. Um, one thing I do right now, is I set an alarm to myself every day to remind myself to pray. I actually have an alarm on my phone that will go off at 9.30 tonight, and it will tell me that I need to sit down, I need to pray, because it's important, and I want to make sure I don't forget to do it. So I set an alarm to to actually sit down to pray, uh, because I want to make it a very important time um, before the Lord, okay? Um, Mornings and evenings are some of the best times to pray, by the way. Uh, early in the morning or late in the evening um, because those are times when you're least distracted you don't have as many things to do okay Um, so carve out time to pray Uh, if you're wondering like hey prayer is hard I don't know how to pray so how do I start and and what do I do if it gets really really tough one of the things that actually has helped me is I actually pray about prayer being hard like I literally like start praying and be like, all right, Lord, I'm really finding it hard to pray right now. And I don't know why it's very hard, but it's very hard right now. Please help me to actually pray right now. And it begins to kind of get the ball rolling. And you will be surprised how your prayer can actually pick up when you start with that. It's interesting. I would try it. Um, And if you're still not sure like what to pray, you know, that's okay. You can pick maybe like one thing that you know about, God, maybe like an attribute or characteristic that God is sovereign, God is holy, God is just, God is loving, God is gracious, and start praying about that and say, Lord, you are gracious. And here's how I know you're gracious because the Bible tells me here and here and here that you're gracious. And here's how I've seen it in my own life. You were very gracious here. You were gracious to save me. You were gracious to give me a good day. You're gracious to do all this kind of stuff. Start praying along those lines. And if you're still unsure, come with a humble and a broken heart and start asking for forgiveness and repenting, and being like, I don't know why I can't pray, but there's probably some sin that's distracting me from praying right now, and it's making it very difficult for me to pray. That often ha- oftentimes happens. Uh, we come to pray before God, and we can't think of anything because our minds are clouded with sin. It happens. So we can get distracted by other things in life, and so pray about those things, confess those things, repent of them in prayer, And that's going to get prayer rolling. So you can see there's a lot of things you can do. And you can be creative with it. There's no, like, right or wrong, you know, paradigm for prayer necessarily. The Bible tells us about the Lord's Prayer, which is kind of a good pattern to pray. You know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, I don't know why translations still use the word hallowed. Does anyone know what hallowed even means anymore? Like, that just basically means let your name be holy. Um... But um, anyways, but that prayer is a, is, a pr- is a prayer in the Bible that gives us a pattern. But there's lots of ways you can pray. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible, by the way, is one that's not even recorded. It just says that it happened. Okay. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer before the king. He was kind of like the king's cupbearer, which basically means that he had to drink all the drinks be- um, before the, the king could actually drink his drink to make sure it wasn't poison. So basically, his job was, yeah, basically, it was you're going to be alive until the day someone tries to poison the king. So that was his job. It's pretty sad, but it was actually quite an honor back then. They, they, they enjoyed that job, I guess. But it was a pretty easy job, except you just had to drink everything the king drank and hope, hopefully he didn't die. But anyways, he comes before the king because the king asked him to come before him. And the king's like, You look really sad today. Why are you so sad? He's like, Well,. He's like Jerusalem. The, the 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 temple was destroyed in Jerusalem like a hundred years ago, and I really want to get the, the temple rolling, and and actually get, get it built again because that's the temple of God. And so the king's like, oh, he's like, well, what, what, what should, what can I do for you? What can, how, how, how do you want me to help you with this? And he's like, oh. And all of a sudden, it it says in the Bible that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord. Well, in that moment when you pray to the Lord before a king, I guarantee you that prayer was not like 10 minutes long, okay? It was a very short prayer, and the prayer was probably this. Help! Like, help! What do I say to the king so he doesn't get mad at me? Because what Nehemiah is about to ask the king to do is something no king would probably ever want to do, and that is he's going to ask the king, send me away on kind of a sabbatical for like a couple of years to get this temple built. That's what he's, he's going to ask the king. Normally, if you ask the king that, the king's going to be like, no way. And he's going to kill the guy right then and there for asking that question. So Nehemiah's like, help, like what am I going to do? That's my favorite prayer in the Bible because it's so simple. And it's just, it's so like in the spur of the moment, I'm just, I'm so dependent on God right now. And all I can think of to do is just offer up a quick prayer to God in this very tense moment. And the good news is, when Nehemiah actually actually asked the king, the king's like, oh yeah, totally, you can totally go do that. And he sends him away for a couple of years. So that, that was the Lord working in that prayer. And he ans- the Lord answered his prayer. So that being said, there's a lot of things you can do with prayer. And prayer is a very important part of what we do as Christians. And if you want to be someone who is really unstained in your life, prayer must be an important component of your life. Let me close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for prayer and the opportunity that we get to actually talk to you, to talk to the God of the universe. Most religions, if they're really being honest with themselves, have no right talking to their gods. No right, because their gods don't care about them. But we know from what the Bible says that our God has made a specific point of caring for us. And Luke chapter 11 gives us a great picture of that. You're persistent for us. You care about us. You love us. You want to answer our prayers. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be persistent back in our prayers. May we be diligent. May we love to pray because you loved us first. And I pray, Father, that we would be very diligent in this way, that we would learn to love it, that we would put uh, good plans into work and to practice in our lives so that we can be people of prayer and be people who love you and express that in in all kinds of ways, but specifically in the way we communicate with you. So bless us in, in this endeavor, and bless our time in small group now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.